You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. I wonder if there was things in your house growing up that uh, you just didn't talk about. Maybe now that you have your own family, you've grown up and there's some things in your family that you don't talk about. It could be a certain subject matter. It could be something in the past, maybe a family issue that we just don't want to bring up. Maybe it's something everybody is trying to forget. Maybe it's a specific topic like politics or religion maybe sexuality or sports teams, and you know that if this topic gets out and we actually start talking about it in our family, it's going to turn into like a verbal, maybe hopefully not physical, but a verbal battle royal. Like we're going to go at it if we talk about this thing. I remember one of the first times that I met Carla's dad, my now father-in-law, And we started talking about college football. He's an avid, diehard Alabama Crimson Tide fan. And and I am a Georgia Bulldog fan. And I also went to Florida State, so I kind of like them as well. But needless to say, I'm not an Alabama fan. And so we just got to talking like I would with anybody else. And I said something jokingly, you know, about Alabama and comparing them to Georgia and da-da-da-da-da. And then all of a sudden, like, like, he snapped on me. Like, I was like, whoa, like literally like angry, like mad, like you're not going to talk about Alabama's football team that way. And then in, in my mind, I'm like, okay, note to self, if I want to marry this man's daughter, I'm not going to talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide ever again. Like, just not going to talk about it. So I made that note and it worked out and here we are today and Carla actually went to the University of Georgia so we're good. Uh, we just still don't talk about, you know, I thought it was just me but then like Caleb and Josiah as they got older and their grandkids, you're like, you know, granddad's a little bit easier on the grandkids. No, 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 no. Like he would snap on them too if it was about that. So I don't know what things you avoid talking about in your family but I know at least for our family there's one thing that we don't talk about. We don't talk about Bruno. So I don't know if you do, and if you do, that's okay, but uh, uh, we want to get into that a little bit today, so if it's all right with you, I'm actually going to talk about Bruno. I'm pretty sure uh, that if my name was Bruno for real right now, I'm not sure how I'd feel about all of this, Um, this song and this movie, and all joking aside, I, I am... Leading into our At The Movie series movie that we're doing today, we're in week four of our At The Movie series, and today we're going to be looking at the Oscar award-winning movie Encanto. It's a musical, so I, I hope that you like musicals, because I'm actually going to sing the rest of my message. So... Let's read a passage of Scripture. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I, but here, I am going to say this. Being that this is in Canto and it's a musical, uh, the clips that will be used today are musical clips. Now, this is not a sing-along. You are welcome to sing along with it, but when it's over, it's over. Stop. 
Don't finish out the song. Don't go on to the next line. Don't turn to your neighbor and start having your own little musical breakout in your row. That is not going to happen today. I've already talked to some of you about this beforehand because I know you're not going to have a, you're going to have a hard time controlling yourself, but I'm just saying that blanket. If you're at home, I don't care what you do. You could dance on your couch for all I care. But here, when the clip is over, that's over. All right, that was my choir cutoff for you right there. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Bruno amongst other things. So we're going to read from a passage of scripture that I believe describes one of the many themes that you can draw from this movie. It, it's a great one and we're going to talk about it. But the scripture today, the overarching passage that we're going to unpack is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And we're going to read all the way through verse 31. So if you have your Bible with you today, you could turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Or if you're using version, you can use that. Let's read God's word. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say to the this is the funny part to me. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are, not, that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Lord, we pray that you would bless your word, that you would strengthen us and change us, equip us to be who you have made us and called us to be. What strikes me when I'm reading this passage of scripture is that no matter how many times I read it, no matter how many times maybe I've taught it or you've heard it taught or I've heard it taught or we've read it ourselves, we read things like this. We're indispensable. We are an integral part of the body. We have a, 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 a part to play. Everybody needs to do their part. No part is greater than another. No matter how many times we hear that, we still have a hard time believing it for ourselves. And sometimes we have a hard time believing it for other people. No, they couldn't be used by God. 
or I certainly certainly couldn't be used by God. And no matter how many times we tell ourselves every gift matters and no part is more important than the whole working together, we still elevate, and I'm talking about within the church, elevate, accommodate, and almost idolize certain gifts over others. It's our natural bent to do so. We like winners. Nobody likes to go see losers. You don't see packed out stadiums of losing teams. You see packed out stadiums of winning teams and you have bandwagon fans that jump on these teams because they're winning. The only people that go to losing teams are people that have family on that team or people that are just diehard loyal fans. And guess what? We're not supposed to be loyal fans of the church in Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be dedicated followers of the church in Jesus Christ. So here's the thing, sometimes things that look like losing to us are actually winning for the kingdom of God. So we can't judge how the church is doing just based upon how things look. Is this a winning team or is this a losing team? No, if it's God's team, it is already won, no matter what you see or what it looks like. So in this response to this shortcoming that we have as individuals to always kind of gravitate towards the popular and the powerful and elevate that type of thing, particularly as it relates to gifts even in the church, here's what Paul says. He's emphasizing, no, there's an importance to the diversity of gifts and the unity within those diversity of gifts. He goes on in the next chapter to emphasize without love, this would be the love chapter in chapter 13, without love, all of the gifts are worthless, So it's important to have a foundation. So assuming that foundation is love in our spiritual lives and in the church, the body of Christ, we should, as Paul is giving this analogy, operate very similar to the human body. Now that right there should give us a clue as to why this this whole idea of working together unified is so important to God. It's so important to God that the example that he gives us is something that you walk around in every single day. It's something that you live in every single day. That when I look at my body or I read this particular passage of Scripture, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. You don't have to explain this metaphor. You don't have to explain this analogy. It is as clear as the hands in front of my face if I want to go with another body metaphor. He's saying, look, this is important. It's so important. You're going to see what I mean by how it should operate every day in your own physical body. In the movie Encanto, you see the parallels of the body of Christ and the Madrigal family, or as you should say it this way, the family Madrigal, right? You see these parallels of the body of Christ and this family as they're working together. And in this case, this family is working together in a living home, just as we're working together in the living body of Christ. So this super colorful movie, if you haven't seen it again, I've always told people like, I'm going to spoil it for you today. Or maybe, hopefully, maybe I'll make it better for you today. But you should have already seen the movie by now. If you go watch movies, it's been out a long time. We've been talking about it now for months. But have, if you haven't, you can go see it later. It's wonderful. It's a colorful movie set in Colombia, and it tells the story of a multi-generational family living in a magical home whose matriarch is Abuela. Abuela's in charge of the house. She lost her husband early on in their life, and she has to raise newborn triplets alone. She received a miracle in the form of this magical light, magical candle, and this magical candle, this light, pushes up the mountains between the townspeople and their attackers, and it creates this large house that is magically alive, and and all of them live together happily and are protected by the gifts of this family. 
And as each child comes of age, typically it looks like around five years old, a door in the house lights up with their name and they receive a superpower or they call it a gift. Abuela teaches her family that their gifts that they receive are to be used in service to others and to strengthen the family and to bless the town. Sounds a lot like what the church is supposed to do. This is where the main character of the movie, Mirabelle, comes in, and she is the only grandchild who, when she goes to the door as a little child, doesn't receive a gift, doesn't receive a supernatural power. As the whole story goes on, it's full of all kinds of amazing themes of forgiveness, of healing, reconciliation, so that at the end, spoiler alert, the family and the house function properly on the foundation of love. So for us today, if the Madrigal family and their house are a metaphor for the body of Christ, what can we see? What can we see as it relates to the body of Christ, the church, the family that God has made us a part of? Because every family member in the movie has a gift and they all work together to protect and bless the town. Here's the reality. In the church, every family member has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit and we're to use these gifts to edify and strengthen the body of Christ and to be a light and a blessing to the world around us. Paul says this in verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Notice it is not so it is with the church, because it is so it is with the church and Christ that constitutes the body of Christ. In other words, you cannot be a member of the body of Christ just by having membership in the church. We go through this in our membership class all the time. The way that you become a member of the body of Christ is through salvation. At that point, you become a part of his body with Jesus Christ as the head. And that's what Paul is saying. The whole body plus the head constitutes the body of Christ. This is an amazing statement, first of all, by saying that we are made a part of Christ. That's crazy to me. That's what Paul's saying. You and I, as believers, are the means by which Jesus functions within the world. Or maybe better said, we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the earth today. It is the body with many members, and yet it is still only one body, even worldwide. We are the one body of Christ with local expressions of that one body. There are not many bodies, there's just one. They're all tied together by sharing the same life and they're all connected to the head who is Christ so that we function as God intended as the means of expressing Christ's life in the world today. In the movie, there's only one family. It's the Madrigal family that has been blessed, if you will, to be a blessing to the townspeople and to the people around. And they're all tied together by sharing the same house, the same life, and they're all connected to the one matriarch, Abuela. They become a part of this family through birth or marriage. And there's a family, the family of God, that we all become a part of through the new birth in Christ, and we are adopted into that family as sons and daughters. Here's what Paul says about the body of Christ. How do we become a part? Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. 
They are baptized in, it says, the people that give their life to Jesus. In this case, he's talking to this church, but it is the church. They are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ and made part of the living Christ, seemingly indicating that all Christians who are born again have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You could not be a Christian without having been baptized by the Holy Spirit, at least according to verse 13. You are made part of his body, and in essence, it's to say that it's not a work of our own doing. It's not a work that we can make happen ourselves. It is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible actually calls your salvation what? A gift. It is the best gift you've ever received if you've given your life to Christ. It is the first and greatest gift that we will ever receive from God the Father by the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done on the cross. So the incredible news about God's family, and that's what Paul is saying, it doesn't matter who you are or where you came from, you can be a part of this family. Paul says it doesn't matter what your family of origin is. That's what he says, Jews or Greeks. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. We were all given the one spirit to drink, he says. I don't care who your daddy is. I don't care who your mama is. I don't care how much money you have or don't have. You don't earn your spot in this family. It is given freely to you by God's grace. Your part. Notice in that one little verse that I just read in verse 13 that the word all occurs twice. It says we were all baptized and we were all given the one spirit to drink or to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is also indicating something powerful. It's establishing for us that all believers are both baptized and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And this matters because it's not intellectual conviction that is going to keep you a Christian in this life. It's not your willpower that's going to keep you a believer in this life. It is the ongoing witness of the Holy Spirit that is inside of us that is going to keep us in God's will. The joy and the fellowship of the presence of Christ is given to us by an ongoing relationship of the Holy Spirit who is both what? In us and we are in him. It's what the Holy Spirit reminds us, the power of Christ by which we live. So the dual ministry of the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body, fills us with the Spirit so that we are both in Christ and he is in us. That's the mystery and the marvel of the church, that Christ is both in you and you are in him. And when I say church, I'm not talking about a bunch of nice religious people that get together and sing and fellowship and smile at each other at one location one week, one day a week. That's not what I'm talking about when I say the church. It's more than that. Here's what I want you to understand. This is what you're a part of in Christ. The church is a blood-bought group of people who share the same life, who belong to the same Lord, who are filled with the same spirit and are given gifts by that same spirit who are supposed to function together in unity through diversity of our origins and our ethnicities and our gifts to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the work of the church. That's what we're supposed to be about. Then Paul goes on to describe how the body functions. And I think he's trying to answer, even for us today, all the major problems and the misconceptions and the misunderstandings that we encounter in this life as the body of Christ, as the church. And one of those is that we feel overwhelmed. I can't tell you how many times that I talk, and I probably have said, but this is kind of our default answer. when Man, how you doing? Just tired, man. Just a lot going on. A little overwhelmed. Like, and that's not saying that it's not legitimate, but I'm asking the question today, one that I think that we should honestly ask ourselves, why are we so overwhelmed? 
There are all kinds of reasons that I think we are, and part of it has to do with the fact that we don't operate properly as the body of Christ. But one of the reasons I think we could feel overwhelmed, because I can't cover them all, but one of them is legalism. Legalism is an attempt to add anything to the finished work of Christ. It's to trust in anything other than Christ and his finished work on the cross for our standing before God. That somehow I'm going to do this and I have to do this to make God love me. I'm going to do this and I have to do this to be accepted into the church, to be accepted into the body of Christ, to be loved by God. We feel like this is what we have to do so we keep all of our lists and we keep all of our laws so that we can stay in good standing. But legalism is to trust in anything other than Jesus and his finished work for that standing. It's believing that somehow you can finish the work that Jesus started. Does that make sense? The Bible says that he who began a good work in you is going to be the one that's faithful to complete it. He didn't begin a good work in you so that you could finish it yourself. That's going to be disastrous because we will forget that what Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. Performance-based Christianity will destroy you. Another ism that we can be overwhelmed by is perfectionism. Kind of legalism and perfectionism are like terrible twins that work together. Newsflash, you're not perfect. And perfectionism is going to be something that destroys you as well. Pretending like you're perfect isn't honest. And here's what happens. It only weakens the body of Christ. If we're all talking about how we've got it all together and I'm good and, and I'm, I'm trying to pretend like I'm holding the weight of the world but I can do it, then all of a sudden we stop allowing God to do what he wants to do in us. When we act like we're perfect, we stop being and becoming perfected. Whose job is it to perfect us? The author and the finisher of our faith? Not you. Not me. And when we act like we're perfect, we stop becoming perfected. Why? Because you can't perfect something that's perfect. Right? So that's why it's good to know I'm not. Like, stop messing with the Snickers bar. Like, it's perfect as it is. I don't need white chocolate on it. I don't need almonds in it. I don't need some other kind of, no, the ingredients are what they are. That's what makes it such a good candy bar. It's perfect. Stop messing with it. All right, not, not that, you know, Mars is listening to me right now or whoever makes them, but point being is when something is perfect, you don't need to perfect it anymore, but we're not perfect. So being honest about your life, honest about your struggles, honest about your fears, your weaknesses, allow the body of Christ to be strengthened so let's go to our first scene where we're going to see louisa and I, like i said you could sing along if you like but you better stop when it's over and louisa's supernatural power or gift is physical strength her role in this family is to carry everything physically kind of the burden of the community so let's watch Some of us overdo it. I don't know if you're hearing that and watching that through the lens that I believe God wants to use it today, but in this case, Louisa, the older sister, is struggling with her identity because even though she is the strong one, she sometimes feels weak. She sings, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. Who am I if I can't carry it all? I think all of us tend to form our identity around our work, what we do. But here's what I want you to know. Your work does not define you. 
God does. Because of the constant expectations, sometimes we have a lot of pressure. In her case, it's a constant expectation that she's going to be the strong one for the family. She can carry it all, never show weakness. And then she grows anxious about the pressure that she's really feeling that she's afraid to let everybody know about. If that's you today, that you always have to be the strong one for your family, for your marriage, for your kids, or maybe even think for your church then I want to encourage you today to stop. Put it down. Get off the never-ending performance wheel and rest. Jesus said, if you have cares and burdens, bring them to him. Put them at his feet. He's the one that's supposed to care. We are more than what we do. You are more than what you do. Your work does not define who you are. When you see yourself as what you do, when the work gets hard or you fail, you begin to question who you are. But if you see the work that you have as something that God, who defines you, gives you to do, then the pressure is off. And God is the one who sustains us. Here's the deal. Some of you are hard workers. Look, I've got lots of them that surround me on my staff. I'm married to a hard worker. You are mentally and emotionally strong, but you still need the body of Christ. When we act like we're strong enough to carry all the burdens of life, we'll eventually break because the body is meant to have many parts, parts to help one another. That's how the body functions. How can we bear one another's burdens, which the Bible tells us to do, if we try to carry them all? How can we as people do our part if somebody else is doing all of the parts? It's not a one-man show, not a one-woman show. When someone asks, how are you doing? Here's the thing that a lot of times religiously, this is what I'm talking about. Like we come to church and we act like we're perfect and we got to act like, no, you need, to, you need to be honest about what's going on so that Christ can do something about it through what he wants to do in his spirit and through what he wants to do in his, in his body, the church. So when somebody says, how are you doing? It's like, well, God is good. And then you know what we need to say? It's like, I didn't ask you how God was. I know he's good. How are you? That's what I want to know. And even if we see weaknesses in others, because sometimes we can see a weakness in somebody else and then we'll compare ourselves to make ourselves ourselves feel better. But when we see weaknesses of others in the body of Christ, it is not for comparison, it's for compassion. Another issue that we deal with in the body of Christ is on the opposite end of the spectrum and it's the the feeling of insignificance. In one way, we feel like we've got to carry everything and it's all on us. And then on the other side, it's like you're the person or the people that feel like, well, if I was gone, nobody would notice. Maybe you've had these thoughts come across your mind. Do I really matter? Would anybody miss me if I was gone? I don't feel like I have some gift to offer or bring. Why can't my gift be like so-and-so's? Well, Paul takes on that attitude and those thoughts. Verse 14, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. It's never about one person. It's never about one highly visible gift. Yes, there are visible gifts, and there are some gifts that are not as visible, but it's about all of them working together. Paul begins to push this metaphor again about the body, and he starts showing or talking as if the body body parts start talking to each other. Kind of freaky. It would freak us out if that happened to us. But he's saying like if your foot said, well, I can't do all the things that the hand does. It's so flexible. It's attached to that nice long arm and it gets used all the time. I just can't do what the hand can do. Therefore, I really don't belong to the body. That's ridiculous. 
That does not make the foot any less a part of the body. The foot is deceiving itself. If the ear says, because I can't see like an eye, I'm not a part of the body, the ear is deceiving itself. It is a part of the body. Don't be deceived. Here's what Paul's saying. Church, all of us, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, do not be deceived. If you belong to Jesus, you are a part of his body and an integral part at that. You have been given a gift. There are no insignificant members of the body. I hear you, pastor, but I still feel that way. So why do we feel that way? I think it's possibly because we have the wrong idea of what the work of the church is. Like if you think the work of the church is Sunday morning only and what I'm doing right now, then you are always going to feel insignificant in the body of Christ. But if you realize what Paul is saying, what Jesus showed us and how he lived and and made disciples, that Sunday is what we do together to lead to the continuing mission of the work of the church that's going to take place on Monday through Saturday, then you're going to know how important your gift is to the mission of the church in the earth. There is no insignificant part of the body. Not to oversimplify, but the work of the church is to preach freedom to the captives. The body of Christ was sent into the world, the great commission, if you will, to encourage, strengthen, and help people, especially to deliver people from the guilt and the loneliness and the hopelessness that there is in a life that is separated from a relationship with Jesus and his church. And the majority of that work where your gifts are needed takes place after you leave this morning. This is the place where we're to be encouraged. Or as Ephesians 4.12 says, that we're to be equipped to do the work of ministry. So we're equipped today. We're challenged today. We're changed by encountering God's word today. We remember the faithfulness of God and worship him because he's worthy of that. And it causes us to take our eyes off of ourselves We see him more clearly. We pray for one another. We bear one another's burdens. And then we go and do the work of the church. We don't come to church to fulfill the work of the church. We come here as the church, which is God's people gathered together physically, diverse but unified people who join together to be equipped and empowered to fulfill our mission out there. That's the work of the gospel. It is an affront to God if we say that we're not a significant part of the body because we cannot lead or teach or preach. It's an affront to God for what he did for you through his son Jesus Christ to make you a part of his body and it's an affront to the Holy Spirit who by God's direction has given you whatever gifts you have by his own choosing. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Here's what he's saying. This would look awful, ridiculous. That's what he's, that's the point he's saying. And the church looks awful and ridiculous when we all do the same exact thing, look the same, act the same, or the church only consists of what we do on Sunday morning. What a ridiculous body. If that's all that it is, if everybody did the same thing and if the work of the church only consisted of how we served here on a Sunday morning, we would look like the guys that go to the gym and only work, work out one body part the whole time they're there, like bicep bob. You know, just, what you doing? Working out the bicep. Not even both of them, just one of them. 
When we have these gifts that are given to us, they're for all of us to use. Uh, Carla would do a teaching at our encounter weekend that we used to do a lot, and, and she would always talk about, you know, my husband Brent has these beautiful blue eyes, but if I were just to take one of his eyes and pull it out of his head and set it right here on this podium, how beautiful would it be? It'd be just, like, it's gross. But that's what happens when we begin to separate ourselves or don't think that we're a part of the body of Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. The body of Christ is supposed to operate together, not like Mr. Potato Head on Toy Story. You know when he has all these like, he's got his ear here and his eye here and his foot up on his head. Like That's what we look like when we don't understand who God's made us to be. Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. We have all the gifts and the roles that God has for us here in the church. And we're to operate in them here and out there. It's both and. If we only think it's either here or there, we hamstring the body. We walk into this hurting world the same way Jesus walked into this hurting world, in obedience to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, diverse in gifting, and unified in purpose. That is the work of the church. That's Christ at work in the world. Paul goes on, verse 18. But in fact... God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. It's his choosing. It's what he's done. That means that where you live, where you frequent, where you spend your time, the very places that God wants you to be and has placed you is where he wants you to exercise the gift or gifts he has given you to do the work of the church. He arranged the organs of the body where he chose. Verse 19, and if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, they are many parts, but one body. And I hope this is crystal clear this morning, that this should forever settle the question or the feeling of you being insignificant as the part of the body of Christ. You cannot say this to yourself. There is no place for me, because in Christ, that just is not true. Another problem we see in the church is the desire to be independent. Sometimes we, we think we're gifted and we got all the gifts we need and we don't need anybody else. Yes, we are diverse and yes, we have gifts and we need all of those gifts in operation together, but we're not diverse to be individualistic. We are diverse to highlight unity. The more diverse we are, the more highlighting of unity becomes. You don't see a whole lot of unity if everybody looks, acts, and does all the same things the same exact way. But if we come like God has made us, bringing us from all kinds of different backgrounds and places, and he pulls us together to operate as one body, then that diversity in unity in diversity is a testimony of the power of the gospel. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I've got no need of you. We need each other. Church, this is not a solo sport or activity. I think that's why I love team sports and we all do. We like team sports more than individual sports because it's in our DNA. We love to see teams come together and win. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing because Christ has won. It's in our DNA. You are not meant to function all by your lonesome with your own abilities and your own ministry. Talking about those people who think they can function by themselves. But when any part of the physical body starts to operate autonomously on its own, it becomes a problem for the rest of the body real fast. Like you've ever had your eyes start twitching and you couldn't stop it? Like what is going on? You don't even want to see people because they'd be like, hey, like, like Mirabelle did to Louisa, your, your eye's doing that thing again. Like, I can't stop it. Could you imagine if the foot just started doing whatever it wanted to do apart from what you're telling it to do? 
And with the body of Christ, we need each other. We're not created to work in isolation. I will say this. Well, what about, you know, God doing stuff in him? When God is doing a work on you in isolation, when, you know, he takes you off and, and, and you're alone with him because that happens, you know, God does work in us. The work that he does in us isolated, that work is meant to make the body stronger when we come back together. Paul goes on to argue that even the parts that are weaker are actually indispensable. We're the ones that look at things and go, well, that's, that's weaker. It says we think are less honorable. Well, God doesn't think they're less honorable. We're the ones that think things are less honorable or less important or, well, it's not seen. There's a lot of things that goes on in the church that are never seen, that people do in prayer and all kinds of service that you never know about. It's not about what's seen by other people. It's, it's, it's what's seen by God for his glory. And when you begin to understand who and what the church is as God sees it, we're not going to place unbiblical value on biblical roles. Well, this is better, and this is greater, and this is more important. No, 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 they're roles in the body of Christ, and they all work together as one body. We come to understand these two truths more and more. We are not our spiritual gifts, and our gifts are all invaluable. It's both of these at the same time. You are not your spiritual gift, but all of your gifts are invaluable to the body of Christ. Let's watch this next scene that highlights this very well. Home. We need a new foundation. It may seem hopeless, but we'll get by just fine. Look at this family, a glowing constellation. So full of stars, and everybody wants to shine. When we understand we're not our spiritual gifts, but at the same time all our gifts are invaluable, is when we begin to care for one another, when we rejoice with one another, when we weep with one another, in God's house, if you will, just as in this case, the Madrigal family's house becomes a welcoming home to any and all who would come. I just think about the whole town just starts coming and they're all so happy to pitch in and help. What if the church had such a reputation in our city and in our community that when we showed up that the, the people were excited to see us? We see that God works the whole body together in this beautifully articulated and coordinated way. There's nothing in the world more complex and beautiful than the human body. It's the most beautifully balanced and delicately connected instrument the world has ever seen. And at the same time, simultaneously, there's nothing more beautiful and more effective, probably why Paul chose this analogy, if you will, than the connection of the church of Jesus Christ. We like to call it here our beautiful community that God has made. Spiritually, it's the most marvelous organism in the whole universe. The angels, Scripture say, long to look into the functioning of the body of Christ in the world today. It's like they can't even fathom how God does what he does through us. God has put us together. Therefore, we should care about what the church looks like and that it's the light of the world shining brightly to the world around us. Paul says, if one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Notice that he does not say all should suffer with it or that all should be honored together. He says they actually do, actually are. The responsibility for the reg reputation of the body rests with who? All of us, me and you. And how we act is going to impact and affect other people and how they see the body of Christ at work in the world today. We belong together, we suffer together, we're honored together, and we rejoice together. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. So that all of us can see who God sees in us and all those around us can see who God sees 
them to be as well. Let's watch our last clip for the day. We see how bright you burn. We see how brave you been. Now see yourself in time. You're the real gift, kid. Let us in. Open your eyes. Isn't that how God sees us, right? That when God sees you as you really are and he still loved you and still died for you, sent his son for you, even yet while you were still a sinner, that he sees you, all of you. And the body of Christ is supposed to see one another the same way. Now we have to let people see that, but at the same time we have to respond to what we see knowing that God is the one who is still perfecting all of us. So when we see ourselves and one another the way God does the truest version of ourselves, we're going to utilize our gifts. We're going to work diligently as under the Lord for his glory, and we're going to do it together. That's when the light of Christ shines the brightest from what the church should be, a city on a hill. Paul then goes on to list all these different gifts and highlight the diversity of gifts needed in order for the body to operate properly. I don't have time to go into all of that, but I'll show you how we default so easily is we'll start to, we've had all this stuff about how the body is one body and then he starts to read the gifts and then what do we do when we read them? We start to rank the gifts. They're not in order of rank, they're listed in order of historic appearance or chronological order really. We're the ones who mistakenly assign greater values on different roles in the body, not God. God sees them all as a part of the body of Christ. All the diversity is necessary because no one can do all of these things by themselves. No one has all the gifts. No one can do all the work of the church alone. That should be liberating for you today. Like, I don't have to do that. That, like, that, that is something that God has given them to do. It doesn't mean that we don't serve in any area we call to serve. I'm not talking about being a servant. I'm talking about the gifts that God's given us. We need each other is what we need. That's the point that Paul's making. Then he concludes with this wonderful sentence, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And that, by the way, is addressed to the congregation. It's addressed to the people, the church, not an individual. It's plural. Your gifts are chosen for you by the Holy Spirit. But as a congregation, we can earnestly desire that the higher gifts be manifested among us. And what are the higher gifts? The higher gifts or the greater gifts are those that edify and help other people. That's the purpose of the gifts, to edify and to help others. Our gifts are not intended to be platforms where we try to gain our sense of significance. They're not popularity contests where we seek the praise of people. Our real significance comes from God. The fact that he chose us in Christ, that he gifted us, and that he sent us into the world for his purposes. And then finally Paul closes with, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then it leads into verse, or the first verse of chapter 13, which we know as the love chapter, which in essence is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit is, that's what God's after. That's the character of Christ that comes through us, how we utilize what he's given us, even in the gifts. The gifts are given to enable us to achieve, to an increasing degree, by mutually working together, the fruit of the Spirit. And here's something to remember. Maybe we lack in our operating in our gifts 
or utilizing them properly in the church and outside the four walls here because we forgot or never knew what the gifts were for in the first place. Our spiritual gifts make us servants, not saviors. Your spiritual gift was given to you to make you a servant, not a savior. A servant that points to the savior. Here's the cool thing about gifts because now there's a humility that comes with the fact that you have something that I don't and I don't want to be coveting that or jealous of that. There's humility that comes. There's humility that comes even with the gift that I have that knows that I can't do everything on my own but I have to have the body of Christ. There's always humility that comes with the gifts. So what happens as I serve with my gifts is I'm sanctified. I'm changed more like Christ. And then in that process of God changing me, he also saves others. We serve Jesus saves. We serve. Jesus sanctifies us. And isn't it so good that that work is on Christ, not on us? So today, I want you to know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the one that we serve. He's the head of the body. Ironically, this movie is pointing to that too, that it's like the body works when we all are on the foundation of love. And for us, this church, when Christ is operating like he should as the head, and even when we sing this last song this morning about what Jesus did on the cross, it's reminding us that Christ is the head of the body, and we are all a part of it. Gifted each of you uniquely and specifically to do what God's called you to do, and everyone is integral to it. It looks different. It may not look the same, but it is all important to do what God's called us to do, not just in here but as we walk out of here. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.